you know, our our vision today is is really about enabling people to sustainably live and work in space. Ten or twenty years from now, I fervently believe that we're going to see multiple space-enabled manufacturing, space-enabled space-enabled processing business lines scaling. Welcome to the Deep Space Podcast. This series is a dynamic discussion of important topics and issues that will impact deep space exploration over the next 50 years, examining where we've come from, where we are now, and how to get through the challenges ahead. We're bringing speakers from inside industry and government to share ideas, viewpoints, and provocative insights on how we can explore further together. In today's Deep Space podcast, we're gonna take a closer look at entrepreneurship in space. What is the current legacy of space entrepreneurship? Those successes and failures? How important are small companies to bringing us deeper in space exploration? How can they be successful when time cycles are long and the customer revenue models are built on factors out of one's control? What are some of the emerging trends to be mindful of and the key players to watch? Finally, how do companies navigate the space investment landscape? Joining us today is Andrew Rush of Made in Space. Andrew is the President and Chief Executive Officer and oversees Made in Space's strategic direction and operational management for the Innovative Space Manufacturing Company. He's expanded Made in Space's portfolio across three sectors, including satellite manufacturing, payload development, and operations. Under Andrew's leadership, Made in Space has completed eight successful spaceflight missions with four facilities flown and operating on the International Space Station. For those of our listeners interested in space policy, Andrew has also recently been appointed as the new chair of the NASA Advisory Council's Regulatory and Policy Committee. Andrew, welcome to the Deep Space Podcast. Thank you for having me. So let's just sort of start at the beginning. How did Maiden Space get started? So Maiden Space was founded about 10 years ago uh, by the, the four founders of, of, our, of our company. And, was, and our company was really created to enable people to sustainably live and work in space, you know, to develop both the technologies and the sort of economic motivators to 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 drive us, you know, into Leo and beyond um, as as people. Uh, those those folks actually got together. We had our first offices out in the NASA research uh, research park uh, at NASA Ames. Um, but even before that, we actually had our very first office under a wind tunnel. Um, at, at the, on the NASA Ames campus. Under a wind tunnel, I didn't know that. Yep, they had to, uh, you know, it was very dusty, so they had to sweep it out every morning. So it was an operating wind tunnel? <laughs> yeah. I oh, wow. So. <laughs> so you guys were, okay. So you were willing to take risks from the very beginning. That's awesome. Um, what's your favorite object that's been printed in space so far? And maybe you can tell us a little bit about Additive manufacturing through day printing. So we've manufactured about 200 objects uh, on the International Space Station using the two the two printers that we have uh, deployed to the space station so far. Um, the first printer, uh, 3D Print, was the very first printer to manufacture functional objects off the face of the planet. Uh, and then our second facility, our additive manufacturing facility. Uh, is actually a commercially owned and operated facility where we print objects for a wide variety of customers. Uh, you know, 
obviously NASA, but also other universities, other space space agencies, and even individuals. I, I, there are a lot of really amazing pro projects that we have been able to facilitate using AMF and using 3D print. I actually think that my my favorite print um, that we've done uh, was was one of the relatively recent ones uh, that we printed with with AMF, uh, and that were these these radiation covers for for some radiation sensors uh, in the beam module on the space station. And the reason I thought this was so interesting was they you know the NASA scientists kind of came up with this concept of saying hey it could be like vary the thickness of material that we put over these these sensors in the beam module to, to validate our radiation model models that we have, you know, for, for this kind of new, these sort of new habitat designs. And so we printed out just little covers that were varying thicknesses. Um, we're able to do that, you know, we'll do this experiment very, very quickly because the material is already up there manufacturing capability was already up there. Um, and it generated some really interesting data um, for, for the scientists that, you know, that they're, you know, Kind of working into their models going forward. Fantastic. So you're not just continuing to prove the capabilities of your additive manufacturing facility on station and that technology in general, but do it in a way that contributes to advancing knowledge about um, sort of the onboard radiation environment and surrounding radiation environment. That's terrific. Yeah, I mean, seeing seeing that that interest from scientists and engineers and having a light bulb come on and say, hey, we can use this to change the way that we're doing science, change the way that we're doing operations, um, you know, you take care of the space station and, and even and even a little bit further out, you know, beginning to conceptualize how this technology can be used to make things like gateway and make things like, you know, you know, lunar surface habitats, you know, more efficient and more reliable and more robust. Um, has been really, really exciting to see uh, as it's as it's come along. So, because you mentioned this, um, talking about Gateway and talking about the lunar surface, how does maiden space fit into NASA's plans for Artemis to return to cislunar space and the surface of the moon? There's, as I was just talking about a little bit earlier, taking the learnings and the capabilities that we've demonstrated and validated and increased the TRL um, on of manufacturing in the space environment to service crew needs and applying that to to gateway applying that to to lunar surface operations applying that to sustainment on the lunar surface because what we found is we're contingency planners for human spaceflight operations as, a, as, a, as an industry right we say what 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 are all the things that could go wrong what tools do we need to bring how do we make things more reliable more robust and having a local real-time manufacturing capability helps make the mission safer because we can have this, this meta tool, right? This tool that can make other tools and other fixes um, there to, to respond to expected, expected issues or, 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 you know, unknown unknowns, you know, you know, and, you know, regardless of kind of, you know, what, what's being thrown at us now we have this more, this more capable, more expanded tool. The other area that that we um, were excited and and hopeful to to contribute to Artemis um, is via our our our, our Arconaut in space manufacturing and assembly uh, technology. So Arconaut is a uh, an in space manufacturing technology that, that enables us to manufacture and assemble parts of satellites on orbit uh, and 
The reason that this is so transformational is we can now optimize the satellite for its operational environment rather than simply building it to you know, kind of survive, launch, and unfurl, um, you know, from its from its sort of origami folded up uh, configuration at launch to to you know to one good point orbit. We can and this enables us to put you know a lot more power on on satellites, um, you know, on a sort of per, per kilogram basis. Uh, much bigger reflectors, much bigger antennas, which enable us to do, you know, more high resolution mapping, um, you know, more uh, high throughput uh, comms on the same sort of satellite. So using Arconaut infused satellites in lower, you know, in the lunar orbit to do things like mapping, to do things like comms, we think will, you know, as a way to um, really, really make that really enable sustainable like sustainable low cost high capability operations uh, and then of course that technology also can be infused into lunar surface operations our manufacturing and assembly capability that works in microgravity in leo or in lunar lunar orbit can also be applied to the surface of the moon to do manufacturing and assembly of you know of, of structures of you know to support habitats to manufacture and maintain landing pads and a whole variety of other applications. So really it's, it's the work that you're doing has the potential to so significantly streamline operations. It's almost a point of delivery model, right? Where instead of doing all the work on earth and then trying to get it to wherever it is that you're trying to get it, you're trying to make the ability to create things, manufacture things, assemble things, be much closer to where people are actually going to need them. Yeah, that's that's an absolutely it's a very clever way of of looking at how this technology can be impactful. That it's that by having that sort of local real time manufacturing capability, we're able to optimize for the needs of the needs of the mission at, at the point of delivery. So you know, with with Ar Arconaut, with building satellites, that's optimizing for what the mission is doing in its operational environment, not, not designing it just to survive the, you know, the, the truck, as it were, that takes it, you know, that takes it there. Uh, and then for, you know, lunar surface operations, yeah, it's, it's taking the supply chain and, and, and shortening it up and saying, okay, we brought these raw materials with us and we can use those raw materials to make, to make the things we need or to maintain the systems that we have Rather than having to, you know, and 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 thereby, you know, reducing the need for sparing and expanding the types of fixes and spares and repairs that that we could, you know, that we can provide to the mission. Ultimately, making that mission, uh, we believe, a more a safer, more reliable, uh, more capable uh, mission. So definitely a game changer. Before we go further into your story, we know aerospace companies, including several coalition members, have been stepping up to provide relief for the COVID-19 crisis. And we've learned that Made in Space has been helping in that fight. Can you talk a little bit about that, what you're doing, and how the idea came about? Absolutely. So our team, like virtually everybody else on the planet, has been personally affected in some way by this pandemic. And you know, I couldn't be more proud of them that they immediately wanted to help. We are fortunate to have local, have relationships with local hospitals and law enforcement uh, personnel, both at our headquarters uh, in, in, the, in, the, in the Jacksonville, Florida area, 
as well as in our facilities uh, out in Moffett Field, California. So we so we interacted with them, and they asked you know they asked us if we could help, if we could contribute, and so we immediately redirected a significant portion of our manufacturing capability, uh, our capacity into making uh, PPE for local hospitals. Um, and we and and that then expanded into make PPE for other other frontline healthcare and law enforcement officers and in other hospitals in the in the Jacksonville area, other hospitals in um, in in the Moffitt Field area, as well as uh, you know even a few counties over, um, you know hospitals and law enforcement officers um, that were you know that are all because of the nature of their positions out there protecting us all and and helping and helping you know really being those really being frontline you know warriors against this uh, against this pandemic um we're we're donating all that equipment we basically make it as fast as we can and, and get it out the door well on behalf of the country um i certainly want to thank you and uh we're proud to be affiliated with you and other companies that are doing this did you partner with government or nonprofits hospitals um, could design and produce this, or how did you know essentially how to create PPE? This really started from a just a relationship, you know, personal relationships kind of perspective. Um, we have we had some we have some employees whose whose spouses and significant others um, are, are employees, you know, doctors, and in, in in some of the facilities that we've been assisting. And and that was really you know where the relationship uh, started. Some of you know additional kind of inquiries came from some of the more uh, you know some of the work that we've done around uh, you know uh, biomanufacturing and other advanced manufacturing um, uh, on orbit uh, programs that we're working. So we had those relationships, and we just kind of got the call, um, or in some cases we reached out and said, hey, if you need help, let us know. Uh, and and that's and that's kind of what drove that. We we're fortunate that we live in a time um, that's you know hyper connected and there's a great maker community out there that has developed mm-hmm. a lot of really good designs for making PPE um, you know with 3D printing you know with 3D printing and then uh, and then you know uh, and then just kind of clear plastic um, for the, you know that you can mold for the face shields and so we we took those designs and validated those and and, and you know built built upon that to to start making the PPE. That's great. And I love it that it happened through relationships, right? It's so um, important. One of the things I think has been, if there can be a silver lining to what all is going on, is is people realizing how important those relationships are, even through virtual platforms, seeking to strengthen them. And, and I think this is a great case in point where something really productive and life-saving um, is emerging from those relationships. So again, uh, Thank you for the work that you're doing. You mentioned biomanufacturing. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what that is and what some of the advantages are to bioprinting in space? For decades, there has been research and hypothesizing about how we might leverage the, the space environment to 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 enhance you know, our therapeutic uh, you know our therapeutic techniques. So this and this ranges everywhere from you know protein crystal growth to discover new 
you know, new protein structures that might be used in medicine to perhaps making medicines in space, uh, at, you know, at, at you know, sort of industrial scales for, for drugs. Um, and, and a more recent area that's been kind of emerging is, uh, you know, is this concept of, of, manu of 3D printing or additively manufacturing, uh, you know, uh, part, parts of, part, you know, parts of the body on orbit. Uh, and then, and then using that, and then using that for for therapy. The reason that this has been interesting historically has been that it's been very difficult to create uh, vascularized tissues or other um, or other you know more complex uh, biological systems in unit gravity in, in one G because they they tend to collapse before the before the matrix uh, completely sets up. So hypothesis has been, hey, if we take gravity out of the manufacturing equation, perhaps we can we can make these things in a relatively straightforward forward way in the microgravity environment. We at Made in Space have been exploring that for a very long time, actually, like since since actually even before AMF flew, um, and and have you know done some done some work in that area. There are other folks that have uh, that have been doing work in that area. Uh, all the while, the sort of terrestrial um, the terrestrial markets and the terrestrial researchers have been, you know, trying to continue to tackle that problem. Um, and it's, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting space, um, because there may, it may be that like some areas that there are terrestrial solutions that are found to address these issues. Uh, but we think that there's, that this is actually just one of many, uh, you know, that, you know, the sort of 3D printing of organs or corneas or, or, or uh, vascularized tissues, or just a few of many, many different ways that we would let we could leverage the space environment uh, to to you know to move our our ability to provide medical therapies forward for for people. Well, it also speaks to made in spaces technical depth and also the um, the broader vision that you have for the company that you're leveraging these capabilities to work now in biotechnology as well as materials as well as um manufacturing you know assembly right i mean you uh you're doing a tremendous amount for a small company can you talk a little bit about the larger vision if you look down the road 10 20 years where would you like to see made in space absolutely so you know our our vision today is, is really about enabling people to sustainably live and work in space, you know, in space stations and factories that were built in space, providing value for all of humanity, uh, you know, with, with, you know by, by living and working on those, those space stations and factories. And that, that vision has really come into focus um, for us over the last 10 years um, because it's, because you you know because it's it, there's this this kind of virtuous cycle and inner and inner relationship between improving the technology and increasing the the business cases for in space manufacturing of satellites for in space manufacturing of or, or processing of, of goods and materials but then we bring back down to earth um, and and utilize and and that, and that we see as this really key, uh, you know, again, virtuous cycle that that drives that drives people to go and stay in space. 
um, you know, that, that economic motivator, that lowering the barriers to entry for operation and, and resupply and, and maintenance, and then providing a reason for people to go and stay that isn't, that isn't just tied to, to national pride or, um, you know, and, and, is, and has a broader base than, um, you know, than, than, you know, really interesting and expensive, uh, uh, you know, tourism activities. So if we kind of look out 10 or 20 years from now, you know, what I, what, what we see, what we envision is in the same way that, you know, economic reusability of, of launch vehicles uh, has, has been you know, transformational for the launch industry. We see for satellites, the ability to manufacture and assemble satellites being transformational for the, for, 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 the satellite manufacturing industry. So 10 years from now, maybe 20% of satellites are, you know, have some manufacturing assembly servicing capability that enables them to deliver value to, you know, to their customer. 10 or 20 years from now, I, 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 I fervently believe that we're going to see multiple space-enabled manufacturing, space-enabled space-enabled processing business lines scaling in low Earth orbit and 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 you know generating sufficient revenue to you know to support commercial platforms on orbit um you know so we'll we'll see the likes of the likes of axiom nanorax etc you know having these commercial platforms on orbit that have you know, that have made, you know, in-space manufacturing as a sort of a, you know, as, as one of the anchor customers for them. Um, I, you know, and, 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 you know, having seen, and having seen that, the, the, the germs, the seeds of that, the, those capabilities proven on the international space station, and then, you know, and then begin to grow and scale there and then get onto these commercial platforms and, and really just to drive an economic boom um, in, in new capabilities and new business lines in, in low Earth orbit. Uh, and, and then, and that seeing more people than ever going to work in low Earth orbit and beyond. It's a terrific vision. I'm just going to ask one more question to kind of wrap up. Um, we've got a lot of people that listen to this podcast that are really interested in space entrepreneurship. Um, we could probably talk for the rest of the day about importance of partnering with other companies and entities. We can, you and I have certainly talked in the past about both the challenges and advantages of working with a government, right? When you're a, um, a smaller company trying to grow a space business, what advice would you give to entrepreneurs who want to start a space business? What I would say to entrepreneurs that are interested in starting a space business is to remember that you know that what you're what you're creating and what you're building is you know is is both a space entity and and a business and and to to, to remain focused on that to you know that we have you know from the space perspective having a great you know it's wonderful to be in this community um, that's focused on these you know, on the, on the final frontier and enabling us to, to, you know, use that and explore that in new and interesting ways. Um, but a vision that's, that's just a vision is, is not a, is not a business. And, and often it's difficult to, to turn that vision 
you know, that fantastic future into reality, if you don't take that vision and break it down into digestible chunks that you can then deliver value to your customers. And so staying focused, you know, so from a business perspective, always stay focused on the customer and delivering value to that customer, whether that customer is a commercial entity that, you know, that needs, you know, needs faster throughput um, or whether that customer is a, you know, government agency like NASA that wants to, you know, develop additional technology to help its, its vision or more broadly, you know, the, the American taxpayer, you know, you know, who, who we all, you know, from a government government contracting perspective, will someone all work for. Um, if you stay focused and aligned with, with what your customers are asking for and what they're looking for. And while, while, Letting your vision be your 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 you know your lodestar, and finding these little digestible chunks of value that you can you can deliver to your customer while while making you know, while moving your that vision from fantastic future into wonderful reality, you know that that that's a great business. That's a great space business, and ultimately that's the the kind of pathway and philosophy that we've adopted. And made in space, and I think it's one of the core reasons why we've been successful thus far. It's very important for everyone to remember that uh, space is a wonderful domain, as you said, to operate in, but business is business, right? <laughs> so, Absolutely. well, Andrew, I just want to thank you again for your time and uh, your willingness to work through the challenges of doing a podcast from different locations and, uh, and and to rise to the challenges that we're all facing here, both both in your work with the coalition, but, it's, but much more specifically with regard to the work that you're doing to advance innovation and commercial development of space, to collaborate with US government, to ensure safety and operations on their programs and to provide uh, personal protective equipment for those folks that are on the front lines of battling COVID-19. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you this morning. Marilyn, thanks so much for the time and, uh, you know, could, couldn't do it without the great team that we have at Made in Space and, and the, the belief that our that our customers and our partners put in us um, really you know, space is a team sport and and you know you're you're a great part of that team and, and uh, you know and as is as the broader broader community so thank you